The following program was made possible by Ward's Lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. You know, every year at this time, I tell myself I'm going to go all out and really light up the exterior of the house for the holidays. And every year, seems I'm still struggling to keep that one extension cord off the ground for that one measly light. All right, might as well plug her in, flick the switch. Wow, that's got all the pizzazz of a flashlight shadow puppet. What the? What, what's that in the sky? Is that? No, it can't oh, be. Oh, 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 Merry Christmas. Santa. But, sorry, I, I just always assumed you were... Uh, heavier? Well, 2020 has presented its challenges to keep in shape. But Santa did find an old treadmill in the workshop that just needed a minor tune-up. Sadly, the elves weren't able to repair the odometer. Yeah, you know what? Treadmill odometers always break down minutes after you set it up. Uh, no, I, I gotta be honest. Um, Santa, I always thought that you were... A, a manager of the finest package distribution network in the world? Yes. Yes, I am. Well, I can think of a few people who will need some help with mass distribution soon. Um, why did you land here at my home in Kawartha Lakes? Well, I was intrigued by your Christmas, uh, light, singular. Did you remove it from that easy-bake oven Santa gave you many years ago, Denis? Yeah, my bad. It's uh, not much to look at, I admit. Uh, maybe I just need to get inspired. And that is my gift to you this Christmas. Inspiration. As well as those pajama pants you asked for. Hop aboard Santa's sleigh and I will take you to a real Christmas tree light show at a home in Kawartha Lake. Oh, great. Let me just get my mask. And let me put mine on. There's room for you at the back of the sleigh there, uh, at the other end of that extra-long canoe paddle I have for Craig and Sandy. They were especially good this past year. Lead us on, Rudolph! And no stopping for those giant donuts at Kawartha Wholesale Bakery this time. Well, maybe if we're making good time. Onward! When you start a show with Santa, how can it not be great? So be sure to leave an extra cookie with milk on the table on that night. Welcome to the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, Episode 21. My name is Denny Gringo, your host, here with you for the next, oh, 30 or 40 minutes. Bob Cajun is not that small a world after all, but it has been miniaturized in gingerbread. That story's baking in the oven and should be ready in a bit. We go inside a local food bank to learn what it's like to work on that front line during a pandemic, no less. This Christmas, many churches will be streaming their services live on the internet. But even that's not always possible. We'll speak with a student minister on how he and his church have adapted. And our search has ended. We've been looking for Heather since playing one of that duo's songs in our last episode. Well, today we sit down with Jeff Gutteridge about that great Lindsay-based band. But first, well, Santa has to drop me off at this spectacularly Christmassy decorated house.
thanks for the ride, Santa. You're very welcome, Denis. Enjoy the super special light show and say hi to Penny and Steve Hayner for Santa. Merry Christmas! Okay, so I'm Denis and you guys are? Steve and Penny Hayner. I'm, I'm looking at Pac-Man eating little dots. This is more than just running to your local hardware store and plugging in some lights. What's, what's involved in this entire production? <laughs> There's a computer inside that's got a program running that, that controls the lights. Um, sends through network cables, signals out to the lights. There's a little control box for each little area. Um, and you program it up to, to synchronize with the music. It evolves every year. We make subtle changes um, depending on how many lights we have. They and how many do you have? Um, I calculated this just for you. There's uh, about 1,200 lights. Wow, it's, see, I would have stopped at 1,100, but okay. yeah, 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 1,200. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> okay. I know. So how do you decide when you're mapping this out, the two of you? Because it's a creative process. How do you decide, okay, I want the Pac-Man to go this way, or no, I don't want Pac-Man, I want Robotron. How do you work that out? So, so Pac-Man is the only non-Christmas song, by the way. It's, it's just because it's fun we did Pac-Man. Oh, Most it's... of them are more Christmas-themed. Yeah, the kids love the Pac-Man one. Um, so, so it's more deciding where the lights are going to go. It's, and uh, started small. We add a little bit every year, and we just sort of shuffle things around to, to maybe improve on last year's last year's presentation. I just plugged in my single little light in front of my house and waited for five minutes for it to finally rotate. It's one little pot, and that was success for me. This is a little bit more elaborate. How picky are you in the music being married properly to the light show? So it takes a little time to, to line it all up so the, the lights are synchronized with the music. Um, I'm very obsessive about that. Uh, I like to see it just dead on, the, the timing for the, the lights. If one's out a little bit, I have to fix it. Do you ever get frustrated? Uh, yes, I get frustrated. And, and when you're programming the songs, you hear them about 500 times. You, you get sick of it by the end of it. But I still, I still do watch it out here, though, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we lived in town before, so we definitely, when we started, had a lot more people watching. Our old neighbors used to sit in their, wind, uh, their window with chairs to watch. <laughs> and okay. it was just uh, fun. We started out doing it mainly for our boys. And although they're grown, they demanded that we keep it up. You're working full-time as well, so why spend all this time doing this in an area that you know, people have to drive to to see? Well, why does anyone do any hobby? It's just sort of something that, that I enjoy, putting the mics, the, the lights in synchro, synchronized with the music. Okay. Um, and it's fun to look at too. We, we uh, sit out here, stand out here some nights and watch it, uh, watch it run through the, the nine songs that are playing. I don't know, it's just, uh, just fun to do. I know when I'm working with electricity, I'm really tentative before I hit the breaker and hit that switch. What's it like for the two of you when you've set everything up and you're just ready to flick that switch? It never goes right the first time. <laughs> um, they are low voltage lights, so, so I'm not putting myself in, in great danger here. Well, I'm um, not thinking of the danger, just the anticipation of, oh, is oh, this going to work or oh. not work? Do I have to rewire anything? Or? Yeah, so, so that definitely happens. It's about a week of, of, of futzing and, and fine-tuning things to get it uh, working right. It's yeah. working right now, though. It's looking Absolutely, good. Absolutely, yeah. 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 So describe to me what it's like when you're, you've been out working or you're out uh, in town doing other things and the days are long and they've been a lot longer this year than they have been in the past. What's it like when you come out here 
and you can just stand out here and, and, and watch this light show. Yeah, no matter how many times we've seen it, we still watch them all. Yep. You'll, sit, you'll sit in the driveway and... Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, and coming down the road, you pick up the radio station just as you're coming over the hill there and uh, usually flick it over and uh, see what's playing on the way in the driveway. It's just really relaxing. It's fun just to... You never know which song's going to be playing when we come home, so we usually stop and watch. And sometimes you sit a little longer if uh, one of your favorites is coming up. My name is Maria Francis from Ward's Lawyers in Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. Penny and Stephen Hayner invite you to check out their light show. Just be sure you have an FM radio with you so you can hear the music accompany the light show. They're at 604 Angeline Street North. Show up anytime from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. Now, for sure, technology will be appreciated later this month as many churches opt to live stream their Christmas services. But for many of us in Kawartha Lakes, uh, well, that's not always possible to view because we are all too familiar with that dreaded icon on our screens that reads limited access. It means we can't live stream with some patients. We can watch previously recorded material, which is why Kevin Fitzpatrick got creative. The student minister serving both Janetville and Mount Horeb United Churches will pre-record, pre-produce really, his Christmas service. But rather than choose to record in just one of his churches, he's on location in both. That way it connects the folks with their buildings again. Because, I mean, through my conversations with folks on a regular basis, I'm hearing the wants and the need to be back in their buildings and to be back with community again. And that's hard on folks, especially on Christmas Eve, where traditionally that's where they gather. Maybe this is an opportunity that they can share it with their families and still have the same connections as, as they would as an in-person service. I mean, it won't be the same, but it, it's a virtual offering. I think that the, the personal touch is being in the sanctuary and, and knowing that they can connect with that place again. And, and so hopefully it brings that personal touch to their lives and knowing that there's where we, you know, where we gather on a regular basis. It's just unfortunate at this time we can't do that. And I hope that I can portray that, that connection of community through, through being in the sanctuary and, and kind of reading the readings that we would usually do at Christmas time if we were doing an in-person worship. What has the learning curve been like for you in terms of like camera operation and angles and, and lighting and yeah. all of that? And I'm still learning. A lot of the clergy will get together on a, on a monthly basis or a bi-monthly basis to kind of glean from each other what has worked for them, what hasn't worked for them. I saw a meme just a, a while ago, and it's, and it's Forrest Gump, and it said, and just like that, we all became televangelists, you know, <laughs> because it's the truth. You know, we, it's not something we were, um, I, I know myself, I can speak for myself, it's not something I was taught in seminary how to do, you know, production, video production, <laughs> editing, and all that. You know, we were prepared to be in the pulpit, and, but 2020 has kind of propelled us to learn a lot of new things and, and to be church in a lot of new ways. How do you feel about that, having to, having had to learn that along with everything else? Well, it's, you know, it's, we cope with the situation and we adapt. My son is going to be helping with me. He knows a little bit more about technology than I do, so he will be helping me as far as editing and he'll be behind the camera for me. So I'm happy to, to have that knowledge too, because mm -hmm. he's, uh, seems the younger you are, the more flexible you are, or the more more capable you are with modern technology. A lot of my education 
was kind of talking about the way the church is changing. And definitely 2020 has been a year of change in so many, not only in the church, but in so many different um, areas of, uh, of, of life. Kevin, with the recent news of the vaccine slowly becoming available, how is that news shaping your service? Yeah, it's, there's some cautious hope there. Like Christmas talks about a time of perpetual hope where we prepare ourselves for the coming of, of Christ in our lives again and uh, the hope that, um, that the world will change for the better. And so maybe hopefully we'll be in our building sooner than later. You know, we are truly social creatures and we like to be in community. There might be some inkling for that to find its way in the service. Hey, my name is Jeff Gutteridge of the band Looking for Heather. I'm from Lindsay, and you're listening to the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. And what a nice coincidence. We speak to Jeff Gutteridge and feature some of his music a little later on in the program, which is brought to you by our official sponsor, Ward's Lawyers of Lindsay. If you're looking for a lawyer, well, they've got you covered. Find out how at wardlegal.ca. We have an elevator which comes in handy because I'm always bringing things. <laughs> I'm always having food and produce. Um, and then through here, prior to COVID, this was actually the shopping room. So what's unique about our food bank is that we are a market style food bank. So that means that clients are able to come. They have a certain amount of market dollars that they're allotted um, every month, which is based on how many people are in their household. And then they're able to come and actually do a shop here with their market dollars. So that is Amelia Boyd touring me through a unique food bank located in the north end of Lindsay. Amelia is the coordinator of the Food Sources Community Food Market. Unique because it allows clients to choose their own products using assigned market dollars. That's usually the practice anyway. The pandemic has suspended it, but not permanently. Faith, people, faith. Until then, Amelia has had to adjust in a unique frontline job that comes with a unique set of challenges in a unique time. Over the phone, I do a grocery list with clients and I try to get what do kids like, what size diapers are the baby wearing, things like that. Or do you need a soy milk or an almond milk? Obviously, we're a food bank. We do the best we can. But if it's something simple like, well, you know what? My kid really likes this. We're going we're gonna to try to get that so that you have it. Um, What's it like when you can't meet that request? It's really hard. It's, it's really hard. And, you know, I, I, I struggle with that because we have so many clients. And it's, it's hard to meet everyone's demand. Not demands, that's not the right word. But it's hard to meet what everybody likes and what they're asking for. We do our best. I try to provide as much fruit, fresh fruit and vegetables as I can. I did get some emergency funds that I was able to uh, use at Value Mart. I gave them a amount of money and I'm slowly drawing off of that money every week. So I buy the basics. I buy bananas, oranges, apples, cucumbers, and baby carrots. It's not a lot, but it's enough that I'm able to supplement my canned goods with some fresh stuff. Um, clients don't want to just eat canned food and I think that's a misconception. How do you combat that, 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 that notion with people like me who go, well, no, that's not what they want. Well, I talk to people, I mean, as much as possible. I think people are, when I say what I do for a living, people ask me those really common questions. Um, and I try to educate people as much as possible. And I say, well, you know, I have a lot of clients who would really like bananas for their kids because their kids love them in cereal. Like, I 
feel like there's this separation a lot of the time when we think of people that are living in poverty, you know, that they look different than the rest, but that's just not the case. Everybody wants their kids to eat well. We're, we're trying to find innovative ways to constantly combat that kind of rhetoric and that thinking. We're trying to make our services more accessible. So we are offering a delivery service to clients now. It's very simple. Do you have access to a safe and reliable vehicle? If you do not, then we will deliver. If you live in, Lin as well, you have to live in Lindsay. We're, we're not able to go outside of Lindsay just yet. Um, so that that's a big one because I find a lot of clients are, you know, they're planning their visit with their neighbor or they're planning their visit with the woman upstairs because they know she's coming, which when you're in a pandemic is just not, it's not a safe way. You know, you're not bubbling. We don't want clients to be putting themselves at risk trying to get their food. New system, you know, there's lots of trial and error. This is our delivery bins. I have a really phenomenal team of volunteers. We have about 30 to 35 people through here volunteering in different capacities. You know, volunteer fatigue is a real thing. So I try to strategize how I um, schedule volunteers. I don't want to over schedule them. I try to be as accommodating as possible to the type of work that they like to do. Clients meet me outside, I bring the hampers out to them, and then my volunteer uh, delivery person will be here today and they'll take all those bins and deliver them to clients' homes. And then this is our packing room, which we just got our delivery. So we get a delivery from the warehouse, so from Cortha Lakes yeah. Food Source. So it's really full and lovely in here, which is great. This is- And tiny, very tiny. It's very, we, we try to keep it pretty organized. What does this look like when it's not like this? I wish you could have seen it last Tuesday before my shipment came. I don't want to say empty, uh, but it was it was quite bare. And that is very stressful for the coordinator of a food bank when my shelves are empty because it's not like they're it's not like the appointments stop. Like I still have people who need food. Generally I always have some veg, I always have some soup. I seem to luck out at the end of the month where someone will donate something. So we've been quite fortunate with um, food drives. I've had a, numerous schools who've called me and said, my school was doing a fundraiser, can I come and deliver this? And it just manages to get me through that last week. Um, we also get a private donation from a church every month, which I bank on, and I am very calculated in the way that I spend it. Um, and I hold on to it as long as I can. What's it like looking at those shells, and despite knowing that there are some things you can count on, you can't really. Um, it's, it's really stressful and it's, it's, it's emotional. I, um, I get emotional about it to be totally honest with you. And I've cried to my husband before. It's a hard thing to explain the level of need to people that don't access the food bank and what the food bank looks like when it's empty is, is, is very sad. <laughs> you know, we have to be smart about it. Uh, my clients are incredible. They are so appreciative. They're very thankful. They're just people who've fallen on hard times. There's nothing left over after they've paid their rent. So it's that separation that people think, oh, it's not me. I'm, I'm not a food bank user. Whereas I guarantee the people that are in your circle are food bank users and you don't know it. I had a client yesterday and uh, she was covered. She had her budget set for the month and then she got a toothache. So she went to the dentist and then her budget was gone. Clients who have to fix their um, mechanical wheelchair. There's $900. This is a thankful job, but it can also be a thankless job. What's your motivation for doing this? So my mom accessed a food bank when I was a child. This is not a new thing for me. Um, my mom was a very hardworking woman. She was a nurse. She worked full time at a prison and she was a single mom. And I don't know how many times 
after rent and fixing our car and paying basic bills, we couldn't make it to the end of the month. And so we used food banks. It was just part of our norm. You just used the food bank. As I got older, I really reflected on that experience and how my mom always felt ashamed. So I think when I got into food security, it was, you know, it was very important to me that when clients came to our food bank, they were leaving with a much more dignified experience than I feel like my mom was given. And then at the end of the day, there is a feeling of accomplishment. You know, you've, you have provided some really great food to people. Um, people are very appreciative and thankful, and that makes you feel good. My name is Amelia Boyd from the Lindsay Community Food Market, and you are listening to the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kortha Lakes. The Advocate Podcast, which is like a radio program on your phone, computer, or tablet, is part of the Advocate Magazine, which is 100% local media. And something else that is 100% cool, actually more than 100% cool, a miniature replica of Bob Cajun's downtown Main Street, which its artist slash baker, yes, both those skills, played a big role in this project because it's made of gingerbread. It's on full display at the Bob Cajun Bakery. That's where you can take it in whilst making a donation to Women's Resources. Sarah Chomko joins me on the line from the Bob Cajun Bakery, and I guess it's also her studio. Okay, Sarah, so why gingerbread? Well, I think it's a great medium, and I'm always encouraging people to try it. Each year, I try different things, and I'm always wondering what it can do and then push the limits and see what it can do. I know, I know artists are, are tend to be open-minded and creative, uh, but I have to ask, mm-hmm. what's their reaction when you come to them and say, hey, why don't you work with gingerbread? Um, they're reluctant because if you haven't worked with it, you don't know how to like get the most of it maybe. I've always been baking and gingerbread is something like the recipe I'm using is my family's recipe. Oh. So I'm very comfortable with the medium, but I really think... It's something that everyone should give it a go. It doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be complicated, but it's a lot of fun to work with. Very easy to get different shapes. You just draw it out, cut it out, bake it. You can actually manipulate it after baking as well. I've seen other artists use Dremel um, to refine lines or fix things up, but it has a lot of free... Uh, expression. You're not limited to cookie cutters. You can cut out whatever shapes you want. And then there's also the fun of using different candies to make different effects, like candy canes as porch columns, icing in different colors, all sorts of options. I know you have an appreciation for architecture as well. <laughs> how does it uh, how does it relate to, to the installation you created in, in the Bob Cajun downtown? Well, I'm always interested in somewhat local architecture, whether that's Ontario or the, in this case, it's very local. And Bob Cajun as a village doesn't have grand architecture. We don't have cathedrals and city halls and all that kind of thing. But it's nice to just look at what we do have and the simple architecture we have of our main street. So it was an interesting challenge to do something that local and really look at how these buildings are built and what choices have been made. Well, I'm curious to know what you see, because when I look down the main street of Bob Cage, and, and I'm there 
often. Uh, you know, I see the lovely shops, I see the clean sidewalks, mm -hmm. I see cottagers. Yes. There always seems to be someone eating ice cream. What do yes. you see as an artist down that street, down that main street? I see a lot of different colors. Um, although also doing this project, I realized there's a lot of grays and browns, which is not super, so inspiring, but there's the mural on Kawartha Coffee Company, which is really fun in there. A bunch of different brickwork options and a bunch of different uses of material and different roof lines. It's a lot of variety in a small space. Well, now, now I am going to see it differently when I'm down there now that you've enlightened <laughs> me to, to look at it a, a different way. What, uh, what skills do you draw on more for this? Your, your skills as an artist or as a baker? I would say as a baker because really? I have to know the material. Like an artist is always just in the background for me. Like it's something that informs a lot of different things, but it's not necessarily at the forefront unless I am making something specifically for an art show. I don't really think about it as art. So they're, they're mixed together for me. Like also the kitchen is kind of the same environment as an art studio really? where you're working, you're putting in the hours, you're making things and then people appreciate what you're making. In a bakery, it's a more direct response, whereas a lot of times when you're working on art, you're just working in your own little world. Yeah. You don't get that feedback. There's always a deep, rich history there with you mm -hmm. know, some, some strong pride and, and some strong opinions from the locals. How much weight did that carry when you were building this little replica with gingerbread, knowing that there are those people who are going to walk past it and, and look at it? Mm -hmm. I knew it would resonate with the community and I really did want to do something local and I knew that that would really connect with the community it was being displayed in. The downside is I am not able to do the whole town so the project is from the locks down Bolton to the bakery and we have some wonderful neighbors past us down King Street but unfortunately the scope of the project doesn't carry on that far. I want to represent Bob Cajun but there's a limit on the amount of work that I can do this year. Well, I wonder if there are shop owners, you know, begging you, please, please do my building. So uh, yeah. <laughs> is there is there one particular building that, that stands out as one you enjoyed or maybe that was a challenge in, in recreating? I really like the stone building on the corner of Bolton and King Street. That, in talking about impressive architecture, that is the biggest kind of in large architectural structure we have in town. So that was nice to do the textures, to do the size and the gables and the roof and all the details that went into that. I'm Sarah Chomko and you're listening to the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. Hey, don't forget to tell your friends and family about us. Oh, what the H-E double candy canes. Go ahead and tell your acquaintances about us too. The Advocate Podcast is available for free. You can subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by Ward's Lawyers, your complete legal team. Learn more at wardlegal.ca. True story. Looking for Heather is a band I was introduced to via social media this past summer. And I, I really enjoyed the music. It were punchy in places, quieter in others, smart lyrics, great guitar work. And what a nice bonus when I learned that they are indeed from Kawartha Lakes. Looking for Heather is now a duo. Jay Bowes grew up in Oakwood. Jeff Gutteridge is from Lindsay. I sat down with Jeff at Boiling Over on Kent Street. 
I think it's kind of cool to, to talk about where you're from. And sometimes the, the small town is very, uh, very big part of our lyrics. There's a lot of small town references and a lot of things like that in the songs. And so Can I you thought, give an example of one? Um, National Anthem, a song we put out in 2018. Um, it's about that. It's, it's about what we were going through growing up in a small town. Um, we have a song called the Downtown York Street Choir, which is actually York Street's just uh, down uh, to, the, to the left of me as I'm sitting here. Um, and I talk about the Grand Hotel, you know, which is right across the street from us, now defunct, sadly. But, uh, um, you know, so we make a lot of references to our hometown in there. So we thought, you know what, let's just make it kind of part of who we are as a band. And, and people hopefully will look up and see that there's a lot of really cool music that has come out of this area. Downtown on the corner of York Street, you can hear a sound Like a gospel choir playing a song for the lost and found What I know about artists in general, as they evolve, they have to be in lockstep. So what was it about you and Jay that allowed you to that allow you to still be doing it 25 years later as you've gone through these transformations? I think it's just the fact that we've grown up together. I think I met him when I was about three or four years old. Our parents were mutual friends. Uh, my mom uh, used to babysit him. And so the band was founded by Jay and my other, my brother Jay. So there was two Jays and a Jeff. So it's kind of like the Larry, Daryl and Daryl thing <laughs> to, to get the old Newhart uh, reference. Yep, we reference got it. in there. Um, and so... It was basically me starting the band with my two brothers because I consider Jay Bose to be my like my brother. He but even brothers can go in different directions, oh, yeah, no, as we true. all know. But there was something obviously about the two of you that went, "Hey, you know, we can do this, we can do that." And not only get along, yeah. but have your musical evolution kind of follow each other. How did that happen? Well, I think that's exactly it. Is my brother Jay did leave the band. He did eventually tire of it and kind of wanted to do other things in life, and so he did step out of it. But Jay Bose and I kept going because of that because we just loved the same kind of music. We both have a crazy respect for each other as, as musicians and artists. Um, I'm as big a fan of his songwriting as he is of mine, so I think we, we inspire each other that way. And we've just always done that because we've evolved musically together, so we like a lot of the same things. But we have our differences too, which is what's cool. That I can bring something into him and say, hey, listen to this band. And he'll be like, yeah, it's maybe not exactly my cup of tea, but he can find something in it and he'll do the same for me. So we have a, a lot of similarities, but we have a lot of differences, and it keeps it interesting. It's kind of like a marriage, right? Like, it's, uh, you can't be everything exactly the same all the time. Closer than you thought it would be Chasing a moment Trying to figure out just who to be Not all of it, certainly, but there's, um, but some of it, there's some real pain in the songs, not just in, in the lyrics, but in the, in the music. Looking at you now, you're this happy, jovial guy. You just dropped your daughter off at school. Where does the pain come from when you draw on that? Well, I think, like a lot of artists, you, um, you, yeah, you go, that's, I, I've always said, I think sadness and pain inspires more than happiness and joy for some reason. I don't know why that is. I think people get drawn more to that emotion because it hits them harder because everybody's experienced pain at some point. Do you mean the audience draws on yeah. it more so you're writing like that or you draw it on, on it as both. an artist? I think both. I think myself because I write naturally with what I feel so when I'm writing a song you just kind of let what comes out come out instead of trying to force it in a certain direction you just kind of let it go where it goes and I think people relate to that too because they've all experienced something along those lines where not everybody's experienced all different levels of happiness sadly yeah. um, I think everybody's kind of gone through some sort of pain in their life so I think I think that's where it comes from is it's just natural I just sit down play the guitar start kind of scatting some lyrics and stuff comes out and then you kind of 
see it on the paper afterwards and you kind of rearrange a few lines and you go, okay, there's the song. And then the meanings don't usually hit me till long after the fact. I know for one, um, Chasing Light on the record was one that, that is a very personal song for me. Um, it came from a spot where my, my, uh, my ex and I, when we uh, divorced, we, we separated and divorced, um, that song was just a sort of an optimistic but pessimistic and sadness inspired look at how that went down. Um, it was sort of saying, hey, you're, we're good now. Like, you're, I, we're still friends. We're still very close. You've done your thing. I'm doing my thing. And this is great. But um, that didn't, wasn't apparent to me until actually I sat back and listened to one of the final mixes that we sent off to mastering before the record was finished. And I sat down and I just started crying when I listened to it. I just broke down because I went, wow, I know what this is about. Yeah. And at the time, and I'm getting emotional now just I talking can tell. about it. And I said, I didn't really realize that that's what it was until... I sat down and listened to it, and, and I went, okay, yeah, there it is. Oh, You're right, too, and you described that, all those emotions, you know, the pessimistic, the optimistic, and they're all kind of in that same big Petri dish swirling around. So when you're writing, how do you kind of separate those two or reconcile all those emotions into one song? Like I say, I do, I do it very naturally. I just kind of just let it all come out. And I just capture it all in either a recorded form, whether I have my phone sitting in front of me and I'm just singing random gibberish into the phone um, with the guitar, or sometimes I'm writing it down, and then you just filter through it at the end. So you kind of get all the, the, the dump of emotion out, and then I kind of go back and go, okay, well, with that, that line makes sense with that. That line sounds nice with that. That's what inspired me to pick up the guitar and write the song, but a lot of times I don't really know at that moment what it's truly about until I sit back and listen to it. Or even, I've had people listen to my song and say, I'm hearing this in it. And I go, wow, you know what? I think you're right. I think that's probably where that came from. So what happens when you go back to that song when you're in a different state of mind and you have to perform it? Let's say you're, you're in a very jubilant mode yep. and then you're performing on stage and someone shouts out, hey, play that song that draws you back into a darker, unhappier time. How, how do you... Mm, that, that's tough to do. And um, we have a song that we put out in 2003. It was just a standalone single. It's called Long Long Road. And we still perform it live to this day. And it's just me singing with the guitar and how Jay does some augmentation to it now but at one point he didn't it was just me with the guitar and, and I'm not gonna lie to you there are there are days and there are performances where I was having a hard time making it through because it was a, written um, back in the late 90s um, early 2000s it was supposed to be on our 1999 release but we decided not to because I just wasn't ready to perform it yet it was about some struggles I had had in my own life um, and it's very very personal song and I think why the performance works so well when I sing it is because I do kind of take myself to that spot for a minute. What's that like going back there? And it's, it's hard to do. Like I say, there's times where I, the voice is cracking a little bit when you hit some of those notes towards the end of the song because I've, I, I've just brought myself to that spot so I can perform it the way it's sort of meant to be. You're holding on for one last chance before you slip away and I What you're taking from me We've always had a rule in the band that whoever writes the song gets right of first refusal as to whether or not it gets included. 
So basically because I wrote the song, he said, well, if you're not comfortable putting it on the record, then I'll step aside on this one. But he says, I think we're missing something here. I think it's a great song. And then in 2003, we ended up putting it out as a single on a local music compilation. You realize people are going to be listening to this going, wait, 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 wait. One guy was championing the other guy's song to go on. So what does that say about the two of you that you champion each other's songs? Well, that's it. That's why we've been able to survive as long as we have, because we're as big a fan of each other's music as, as we are of our own. He writes songs and he'll send them to me, go, and I'll be like, oh my God, man, this song's awesome. He's like, really? You really like it? I say, oh, we got we to gotta do that on the next album. And then he'll be like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, trust me on this. Like, so we, we do that to each other all the time. And, and I think that's why we've been able to keep doing this, because we still get excited when each other presents a song. We both still get that excitement when we do it, which is why we still do it. Here, I'm going to quote this directly. We have enjoyed 25 years of making music together and still have a strong friendship. And honestly, I will take that over fame any day. What did it take, Jeff, to reach that point where you were able to say that as an artist and as a person? Well, I think what it was was time. I think just as we wore on, Back in the early days when we started out, in the mid-90s, like anybody else, we were young kids, teenagers, early 20s, and we wanted to be famous, we wanted to be the biggest band in the world, right? Like we wanted to be all our heroes. And I think a certain element of maturity and time goes by where you realize that's just not going to happen. Or not going to happen like that. Not like that. You got it. And maybe it will happen someday. Who knows, right? We're not holding our breath. Uh, so maybe in those days we did things that were tailor-made to try and get people's attention, where now we're just doing whatever we feel like, which is actually kind of liberating, because you can just make the record whatever way we want. And less pressure. Less pressure. We've kind of realized that, hey, we, we've settled into our careers, our family life, but we still can do this, so we do it, because we enjoy it. And we yeah. enjoy each other's company, and we enjoy, the, the, like I say, that excitement and the heart-pounding of going, oh man, we just wrote something really cool. Can't wait for people to hear this. Have you heard the news? The lights are going out on the west side. Describe to me the collaboration with, with Cassie and, and why it worked on that song, Barricade. We wrote the song and it just sort of felt like it needed a counterpoint. The lyrics were written from a male-female perspective. It's a, it's a guy wanting to be with the girl, but he's assuming that she's with somebody else and then it's the vice versa. I recorded it, I sang it, I went, Something doesn't sound the same. It doesn't have the same emotion with a guy singing both parts. I think we needed that female counterpoint on it. So, and then it, it was a really short list that Jay and I put together of singers that we thought would be great to do that. She was number one on the list. Did she massage the lyrics at all? No, nope. really. Nope. She just she sang exactly how I wrote it. But I think she just captured the essence of it so right away. But obviously, she does something to those lyrics. I think she brought a, a softer element to it, which was really cool, because my vocal is kind of like loud, and then her vocal is a little bit softer and more subdued, but still has that power that she has in her voice. So it just, the, the two really just fit well together. Comes crashing through your barricade And all my life I want to be there by your side
not the money that mattered it's the fact that you went to bed and you got up the next morning and in between there you got to do what you wanted to do that's the most fulfilling part of life it's not about how much money you made doing it oh, I wanna be there by your side I wanna be there by your side oh, I wanna be there by your side Great Christmas gift that would be, right? Some Looking for Heather music, which you can purchase via lookingforheather.com. Or you know what, get a super cool Looking for Heather t-shirt, like the one I bought. All right, I'm just gonna plug in my single outdoor light here. There we go. The Advocate Podcast Stories from Kawartha Lakes is brought to you by Ward's Lawyers. For all your legal needs, Carissa and Jason Ward and their team have you covered. Find them at wardlegal.ca. Hey, hey, look who's back! Hi, Santa! Oh, yes, I, I forgot my cell phone charger here in the outlet next to your <laughs> light. <laughs> well, Santa, now that you're here, you want to help with the, uh, the closing show credits? I would be delighted! <clears throat> Theme music written and performed by Gerald Van Halteren, who's been a very good boy this past year. And a special thanks to contributing producer Nancy Payne. Yeah, you know what, Santa? She deserves something extra special under the tree this year. Yes. Yes, she does, Denny. The Advocate Podcast is produced by me, Denny Grignon. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and now on our very own Facebook page. Be extra nice to each other this holiday season and extra extra nice to those retail people who serve us and shop local too eh we're back in a couple of weeks uh hey santa anyone ever remarked that you sound an awful lot like the giant from episode eight? Oh, 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 o